Anyway, Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 11. I've always wanted to preach this text for Easter. And I figured, well, I should have done it last year because there's nobody here. So. And Paul writes this to the church at Rome. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, that's today, dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Let's look at a couple of things. First of all, Interesting that the Apostle Paul uses the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, mindful of the fact that the Trinity is involved in our salvation. Another thing that I would want to draw your attention to are the if statements, a pair in the Greek. The if statements. So when you are reading something and, and you look at something, if in fact the Spirit dwells in you, seems to suggest that maybe it doesn't. And that's where the Greek comes in very handy. You have what's called a fourth class, which is less probable. You have a third class, which is probable, but the probability is still less. And then you have a second class, which is contrary to fact. So if you read it this way, it's doubtful that the Holy Spirit lives in you, but the Apostle Paul says in verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. So that leaves us with one option, and it is the option that is correct. First class, assume to be true, therefore, you use the word since. Now let's look at it practically. Since, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Verse 10, since Christ is in you. Verse 11, since the Spirit of him who is in you raised Christ from the dead. Changes the whole nuance of the text. Now let's look at our sermon for today. Um, in the context, you have Romans uh, 1 through 521 is actually Paul talking about justification. And our section today is talking about sanctification, moving beyond uh, the salvation moment to sanctification and then all the way to uh, chapter 8 verse 39 which is our chapter you talk about glorification so here in these first eight chapters you have justification sanctification and glorification now we read this you however are not in the flesh the sarks it has 13 different meanings in the language. 13. It's quite a few. It can mean the physical body. It can mean sexual desire. It can mean uh, physical human body. It can refer to an ethnic group. But here it is a reference to the human nature in its fallenness. You, Paul says, are not still in your fallenness. There's a, there's a distinctive break here with what went before in verse 7 and 8 for the mind is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law indeed it cannot those who are in the flesh cannot please God 
So on one end of the spectrum, you have those who are in the flesh, those who are not saved, those who are unredeemed. Then Paul says, you are not in the flesh. Look at this flesh and spirit for a minute. In Galatians 6, 8. In Galatians 6, 8. We read this. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. That's because the flesh is dead. The flesh has uh, the, the human nature and its fallenness is dead apart from the life-giving Holy Spirit. Same verse. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Paul says here in opening, the flesh and the Spirit critical to understanding salvation. We have the flesh and we have the Spirit. The Apostle Paul says, you, however, those of you that have trusted in Jesus Christ, you are not in the flesh. You say, well, Pastor, I'm still in the flesh. Yes, you are. And we will struggle with the sinful nature. But the issue here is, who has control of the believer? Who has control of the person? And yes, we will battle with it. Curtis Vaughn writes this, Believers are not in the flesh, that is, they are no longer dominated and controlled by their lower nature. That's because at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts, and He redeems us, quickens us, brings us back to life from death, and at that moment, the fight is between the flesh and the spirit. That will always be there, but there's a difference. The difference is we are no longer controlled by that. That's the victory of the resurrection of Christ. Without the resurrection of Christ from the dead, there can be no victory. There can be no salvation. And praise be to God, we are saved today and have the indwelling Holy Spirit living in us. You, however, are not in the flesh. Those of you that have trusted in Christ, he says, but are in the spirit. The pneuma is the third person of the Trinity. But this word in, casually missed when we read it. That word in is the Greek word for in. It sounds like in, but it's in. And it refers to it has 21 different meanings. Of course, you'd understand that and has many different meanings. But here, it refers to being in union. Catch that. In union with the Spirit. We live this life in combination. Those of us who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. It is inside of us. It is helping us live our Christian lives. And again, without the resurrection, there is no power and there is no salvation. But praise be to God, He has risen from the dead and reigns at the right hand of the Father. Paul goes on to write in verse 9, If in fact... Since, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Oiko. That means to take up residency. Here's the thing. At the moment of salvation, at the moment that you 
Ask Jesus to come into your heart to be your Lord and your Savior. He comes in. You are then unified with the Holy Spirit and that Spirit never, ever, ever leaves. It is once in Christ or nothing. Now, I don't know at the moment of salvation if people have truly trusted in Jesus Christ and it's real between them and Christ, then they are saved. There's, there's no way around that. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know that the Spirit of God lives in you? You are the temple of God. We become the church individually. We are members of the body of Christ, but we are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. It's not this building that makes the church. It's the people of God that make the church. Yes, we come and we assemble here on Easter morning to worship Christ and to praise him and to glorify him. But ultimately, individually, we make up the body of Christ because the Holy Spirit is in us and he, we are then belonging to the body of Christ. That's if you're not in the flesh. If you're saved, you are part. Robert Mounts says this, Nowhere in Scripture do we find a clearer indication that the Spirit enters a person's life at the moment of conversion. October 12, 1981, I was saved. I was led to saving faith in Christ by an army chaplain. That day I realized I did at the moment of salvation felt very different than before I had that encounter with the chaplain. Like so many, I did not get into church and life went along and eventually God led me to a church. I had no intentions of leaving the United States Army. In some ways, I never left. I'm still there. But God called me into the ministry. I surrendered. I left a military career to follow him. Let me just say from my own personal experience, I would never do that if I didn't believe Jesus was real. See, that's the issue. The issue is you've got to get to the place in your life when you think this is real. And if this is real, then I need to do this. I need to trust in him. The benefits, the benefits are enormous. You do not go through life alone. You do not live apart from God. You live with God. You are in union with the Holy Spirit. You are in union with, the, with Christ. And you are in union with all these brothers and sisters that I see here today. What a support group. What a support group. This is the saddest line and the scariest. I know a young person today. My daughter has been frantically witnessing to this young man. Listen to this. This should shake us to our core. We have the resurrection power living in us. But listen to this. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. 
you have heard me say this for 13 years. This is not about being a Southern Baptist. This is not about being a pastor. This is not about being a deacon. This is not about belonging to a Sunday school. Although those things are great and they have, have purpose in the body of Christ, this is about where you and those watching by Facebook, we get a lot. Those watching, if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, today's the day of salvation. What better day than Easter to say, you know what, that day that loud Southern Baptist preacher was preaching, I received Christ. Let me ask you a personal question this morning. Do you know Jesus? That is, because this is horrifying. Anyone who does not have the Spirit does not belong to him. My daughter has been witnessing to this young man, and he is flatly refusing, even though he may only have a week left. Pray for him. We think we have all the time in the world. We may not. And ultimately, and I've seen a lot, right, Joyce? I've seen it at the end. I know what I saw. Richard's in heaven. But if you're in the flesh and you've not trusted in Christ, I'm not talking about trusting in a religion. Jesus Christ is not, repeat, not a religion. He is a personal relationship. That's what the resurrection is all about. You can have the power to live for Christ today based on the victory on Easter Sunday morning. Then Paul mentions death and life as long as we're talking about it. Although the body is dead because of sin, body, soma, the physical body, dead, necros, pertaining to being lifeless. James 2.26, James says it this way, for the body apart from the spirit is dead. So what you have is people walking around who are outwardly living but inwardly dead. The body is dead. Again, this goes back to a personal relationship with Christ. And it's dead because of harmatia, because of sin. Which is to act contrary to the will and the law of God. I've been asked numerous times in 30, now 31 years. <laughs> 31 years. Pastor, why? Why did my friend, my husband, my wife, why did God allow cancer? That's a tough question. Why does this happen? I've been asked the why question many, many times. I remember getting called at 10 o'clock at night in a snowstorm. One of my church members sons drunk on the interstate 
hits the exit ramp at 90 miles an hour, crashes into a state trooper's mother's car, kills hers instantly. He flies out the shield, the, the, he didn't have a seatbelt on, front window out 35 yards or so, 35 feet or so, and he survives. I get up to the hospital, at that time it was in uh, Cleveland. I get up there and Carol is there. And she says, Pastor, I need you to go in with me. We walk in, his body is a mess. He is alive. I put my arm around Carol, she said, Pastor, why did he do it? That's a tough question. My response to Carol at that moment, which I believe was a God thing, Carol, why do we do what we do? He lived, he went to prison, obviously. The issue here is, I love this image. What happens? Why do people get sick? Why do they die? Read Genesis chapter 3. It's the fall of man. I used to have hair. <laughs> you look at this mirror. Every morning when I look in the mirror, I go, <gasps> Who's that? That's not me because N-word, right? N-word, I'm still good. Taking the older boys backpack camping on Friday. I think it's five miles total. This time I'm going with a lighter pack. I'm not... We did that eight-mile thing, and I didn't walk for three days afterwards. I did not let the boys see that. I got out, and I, yeah, I'm, I'm doing fine. I get in the house, and I'm like, oh, oh. Older. This is the result of the fall. This is why people get sick. This is why cancer. This is why everything. Because mankind sinned. It's genetic. It's passed down. But you have a choice. Though I may be wasting away outwardly, inwardly, I am being renewed day by day, the Apostle Paul says. That's why I still feel like in my mind, I know outwardly it doesn't look like it, but in my mind I still feel 25. Amazing. Here's, here's the thing. Nobody escapes death. Unless Jesus comes back. How many of you are ready for that? Yeah, we got quite a few that's ready for that. C.B. Cranfield. The Christian has still to submit to death as a wages of sin because he is a sinner. Meaning that even though we are saved it will not and have you seen I mean honestly have you seen some of the plastic surgery of the stars I mean they are trying to reverse the clock 
Their face looks unreal. It's like this. It's like tight, like, man, you're getting ready to pop. <laughs> you, you, look, look. We're going to get old. There's some things we can't change. The bodies, you know, I've, I'm on medications for different things. It's just the way it is. You have to deal with it. And, but there's coming a day when you will need that. There's coming a day. Jesus Christ will do the plastic surgery when you get to heaven. And they spend, I mean, they uh, all, uh, I, I, I was, I don't know how I saw this, but it was like, uh, the article was like, uh, face surgery's gone bad <laughs> type, type thing. And I'm like, why are you doing that? Why are you trying to perfect the outer man when it's the inner man you need to worry about? That's where it's at. It's not outwardly, it's inwardly. You got to turn there and say, wait a minute, I don't know Jesus. What if I don't have 24 hours? Every one of us is going to submit to death unless Jesus comes back. The batting average for death is 1,000. That's the batting average. By the way, my braids are having a bad weekend in Philadelphia. Their batting average is like 198. Bad weekend. But the spirit, this is life and death, but the spirit, the pneuma, is life because of righteousness. Life, zeo, to be alive. Love this verse. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, that's those who are still in the flesh, those who have not been redeemed by the Holy Spirit. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Listen. There are a lot of good people in this world. There are a lot of good unsaved people in this world. But that doesn't mean that they're saved. And that doesn't mean that they know Jesus Christ. Something happens in the life of a believer when he trusts in Jesus Christ. The King James says, he quickens you. He brings you back to life. By the way, righteousness, dikinocene, dikinocene, means doing what God requires. Let me show you this text and a little picture. I like pictures. That's probably how my mind functions better is with pictures. Here you have Jesus took on my sin. By the way, he took on everybody's sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He went to the cross for you. He went to the cross for me. He takes our sin. Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God on Good Friday, was paying for everybody's sin. When we trust in Him, you have received His righteousness. Theologically, it means imputed righteousness. That is, when you trust in Christ, the old nature is dead. It is done away with. In, inwardly, you have now a new nature by the righteousness of God. And 2 Corinthians 5.21, that we might 
be the righteousness of God in him. So what happens at the moment of salvation, and this is what people don't get, and I, it's, I wish they did. When, when you get to the place of trusting in the resurrected Christ, because again, without the resurrection, there can be no salvation. When you trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, takes up residency, and at that moment, you are in a right standing with God. You say, well, and trust me, it's a slow process. The moment of salvation is instantaneous. Oh, please, if you're watching or listening today, please trust in Christ today. Today is the day of salvation. But the moment that you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he quickens you, he sends the Holy Spirit in you, and then you are in a right standing with God. That means that you have done everything that God requires. But guess what? It's not me. It's what he did in me. So if you're a believer this morning, praise God, you are in a right standing with him. At all times. At all times. Simple little illustration. Christ took on my sin, and in death and the resurrection, we receive his righteousness, and we become the righteousness of God. And not only does the Spirit live in us, he gives us eternal life. Verse 11, if since, actually since, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Ugero, that means to raise to life. We celebrate the empty tomb. This is why I've always wanted to preach this text, because it talks about the difference between the flesh and the spirit, the indwelling spirit, the power it provides in our lives, and it also leads to the moment where Jesus was risen from the dead. If you read the Gospels, Mary Magdalene and Mary went to the tomb early that morning. Mary Magdalene, you may remember her, she had seven demons in her that Jesus drove out, became an early follower of Christ. The other Mary was the wife of Clopas, which was the uncle, the physical uncle of Jesus. That morning, they came and they saw that the tomb was empty. Roman guards sealed that tomb. They did not want the body of Jesus disappearing. <laughs> you can't stop God. When they got there, when they got there, the men were trembling. It was great news. Jesus Christ had been raised from the dead. Simplistic Alistair Begg says this about the empty tomb. The distinctive part about the tomb of Jesus of Nazareth is that the tomb is empty.
you realize this is the pinnacle, the apex of the Christian faith. If you don't believe Jesus was raised from the dead, you cannot be saved. There are over, and Jesus, when he was raised, 520 witnesses in the New Testament that saw the resurrected Christ. You put somebody on trial today in a courtroom, and 520 witnesses are paraded before the prosecutors and the jury, Brothers and sisters, you're going to jail. But they explained Jesus away. That was manufactured. That was man-made. I say to that, garbage. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He is reigning at the right hand of the Father. And those that trust in him are imputed with his righteousness. And someday when you breathe your last breath here... Hallelujah. Victory. That's why we're here today. That's why there's so many in this auditorium and so many watching probably by Facebook because this is the moment of the victory in Christ. Wow. And now the moment that you've all been waiting for and probably counting the minutes. Pastor, you've been 28 minutes. Clock watchers is what pastors call them. It's been 28 minutes, Pastor. We're Baptist. I had planned on going to 1.30, but I could, you know. We rise. Hey, if we're in combination with the Spirit, and we have the indwelling Christ living in us, and we have the Spirit of God with us, the logical conclusion is victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. Y'all know the song? I'm not going to sing anymore because I don't want these people cutting me off on Facebook. He who, this is promised. Brothers and sisters, I have seen so many Christians. I've been right there with them. Leave. And there's just this sense and presence of Christ. One time, it was so remarkable that the hairs on the back of my neck, and there aren't many, but they were there, stood up. It was amazing. Only to go out and tell the family, I've had a 45-minute conversation. You can go in and talk to him. When they went back in, he was out. He had been out for days and woke up just to talk to me about what he was seeing on the other side. I got in my car. I answered the phone, and it was Carl on the phone. He said, I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor. He's out. Oh, don't, I've seen too much. And, and, and in fact, it has strengthened my faith. That's scary. 
right? We don't want to think about that. You better. You better. But for those of us who have trusted in Christ, you are not here. The Apostle Paul writes it this way, 2 Corinthians 5, 8. Yes, well pleased to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. When I, and you know what's really good? I just thought about that. I think I told my mother-in-law yesterday. And yes, I do talk to my mother-in-law. <laughs> I said, you know, they, they had gone to a funeral on Saturday. They had gone to a funeral. Alfonso was telling me it was such a wonderful funeral. It was a pastor that, that, that died. And I said, you know what? Thinking about it, the last funeral I preached was in 2019. Praise God. I don't know. I was. Praise God. I don't like preaching funerals. The first funeral that I preached, I was scared to death. I talked to Dr. Windsor. I said, Dr. Windsor, it's my first funeral. He said, speak to the living. I walked in that day and saw the person that I had tried to share the gospel with who rejected me, not me, rejected Christ. I had my suit on and Ernest walked in. He was our music leader. I said, Ernest, aren't you going to go in? And he goes, nope. He said, I'm going to stay back here. And I said, why that? Why, why, why are you staying back here? He said, that's going to be me someday. And I like, look, I said, yes, it's going to be you someday. I was nervous. I, I preached the funeral, and I focused on the living. Today, I'm focused on the living. Do you know Jesus? I'm not talking about do you know him here. I'm talking about do you know him here. Because inevitably what's going to happen is people are going to miss the kingdom of God by about a foot. You can have a head knowledge of Jesus but not a heart knowledge. My prayer as your pastor this morning is that you would make today the day of salvation. You go from flesh and death and eternal separation from God to being in the spirit, life now, and life eternal with Christ. I can't make that decision. If, if I could, I would force you to do it. But I can't do that. It has to be your decision. So if you don't know Christ, I know 60 people right now that would rejoice if you came forward to trust in Christ. Today's the day of salvation. That's the third time.
Make it today.